Thank you guys. So, uh, so thanks, for, uh, thanks for the prayers. Thanks for uh, messages. It's, it's so good to, to really receive uh, support from each other. And that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning uh, as we move into a new series. Um, we're finding ourselves, aren't we, having to take almost each day at a time. Every day seems different. Every day it seems like there's new news coming from the government, on the websites. Uh, and really, this is, uh, this is a time of confusion. It's a time of fear. Uh, but I really believe, as we've been singing about and as we've been talking about, that this is a time that is so key for us as church, not just in Riverside, but across the globe, that right now we have an opportunity to model uh, what community looks like, what unity looks like to a world that is divided, that is in fear, and that is increasingly isolated. Um, since Christmas as a church, as uh, if you've been coming along for a few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking uh, at the early church through the book of Acts, uh, looking at the kind of uh, lives that those early pioneers in the church uh, were leading, the adventures they were, do- they were getting up to uh, for God. And we've been asking God to do it again. And, and as that series came uh, to an end, uh, this week, as Sarah said, we're going to begin a new series. It's a short, uh, just a three-week mini-series looking at, at unity uh, that we hope is going to build on everything that, that we've been looking at since Christmas, uh, looking at really uh, what it means to be church, what it means to be together, to share our lives together. Uh, self-isolation, it's, uh, it's kind of like the current buzzword, isn't it? We hear people are self-isolating. You know, I was, I was at Riverside House the other day uh, doing some work, preparing this talk, and I was sat in one of the rooms at Riverside House, and about five or six people popped their heads in saying, oh, self-isolating, are we? Now, I work at home full-time by myself. My job is basically sitting on my, on my computer at home, so actually seeing anybody is an actual treat for me, so that was quite nice. Um, but it is the current buzzword, isn't it? There is a sense that, that people are having to withdraw from each other, um, but actually... Uh, Isolation, I think, has been a trend that we've been seeing uh, in the world for a long time now. Uh, Before, self-isolation was really even on anyone's radar. The world has been moving into a place, hasn't it, of increased isolation, increased uh, withdrawing from each other. Um, I was reading recently on the the Office of National Statistics, not that I make a habit of reading things on the Office of National Statistics, but uh, they said an interesting thing, that uh, uh, looking at the time between 1997 and 2017, the number of people who were living on their own uh, went up by 16% uh, to 7.7 million households. And they predict that by 2039, the number of one-person households is projected to rise to 10.7 million just in the UK. And it's not just a physical distance that I think we're seeing. Uh, it's, it's an emotional and a relational distance as well. Uh, you'll see on, the, on the, the, the flyers and the handouts that you've got in your chairs, there's a quote uh, by Brené Brown, and she says this, The world feels heartbroken to me right now. We've sorted ourselves into factions based on politics and ideology. We've turned away from each other, and we've turned towards blame and rage. We're lonely, we're untethered, and we're scared. That kind of sums up, really, what we're seeing around the world, doesn't it? You know, we're seeing people on their own, we're seeing people withdrawing from each other, and we're seeing people who are scared. I was driving uh, from Mosley back to Bourneville last night, and I was really struck uh, at just how quiet the streets were. And I was looking into uh, restaurant windows and kind of into, into bolty houses and pubs, and everywhere was, was empty, and it broke my heart, and I was just driving through on a Saturday night where you expect the place to be full of people, to be enjoying time with friends. You know, there are restaurants that are empty. 
There are pubs that are empty. People are withdrawing from themselves. And I realise it's a very specific time, but I think this is a trend that increasingly we're seeing. And there's a sense, isn't there, that that isn't right. You know, we feel that. We see it on the news, that the isolation, that being on our own isn't right. You know, we're thinking, this, something, this, something's not right here. And I think as Christians, we know exactly why that is. It's because God has made us to exist in community. We see right back in Genesis, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, we are made, we're intended, aren't we, to share our lives with other people. That's how God uh, intended us to live our best lives. So really, is, is, if it, is it any wonder that, so as people withdraw from God, so we were withdrawing from each other. This is how God meant us to be, to be sharing our lives with each other. There was a, a study that um, was done in America uh, over the course of uh, nine years where they studied 7,000 people. At, uh, it's called the Alameda County Study. Uh, it was undertaken by Harvard University. And uh, they kind of studied how people interact and they compared that with lifestyle habits. Uh, and they found this, and John Ortberg um, re- kind of reported on this in his book. And he said this, people who had bad health habits but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, and I love this, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. I'm all over that. That sounds great, isn't it? Uh, But it's true, isn't it, that isolation and disunity is not just affecting our our mental health, but it has literal physical side effects as well. So what is our our response to this this new reality as, as a church as a, as a group of people who we believe God has made to share our lives together. What's our response to this? That we see uh, we live in a world where people are withdrawing from each other. What's our response? So this uh, three-week series we're going to start off this week. We're looking at community. What does it mean to be a body of people who exist together in this thing called church? And I want to uh, look at this from three different angles, from the passage that, that Sarah has read to us this morning. Uh, and the first is this, that I believe that as a church community... Uh, We are a community that has been called by God. Paul writes uh, to the Ephesians, at the very start of the passage, he urges them to live a life worthy of the calling, worthy of the calling they've received. We exist as a community, I really believe this, uh, because God wants us to exist as a community, because he has called us to exist as a community. We have been called by God together to share our lives together. And I think that's why this sense of isolation feels wrong. Because it's against the calling that God has given us, that he wants us to be sharing our lives together. But, you know, what is this calling? You know, if we're, if, we're, if we're saying, great, God's called us to share our lives together, really, what does that mean? I was reading earlier in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, where it says that God's will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Simply put, I think God is bringing and he's working to bring all things, and that includes us, into unity with him. So our calling is to be united with God through Jesus, to have a relationship with him. God is a God, isn't he, of bringing people together. He's a God of unity, and that, I think, is the calling that we have. So as God says uh, to us as a church, I want to call you back to me, to God. Actually, so we do that, we can get called back into community with each other. The word worthy here literally means in balance with or consistent with. It's a word that in the original Greek speaks of scales of measurement and balance. So Paul here is he's encouraging the church to live lives that are consistent with the calling they've received. 
Uh, who remembers here being at, at school? Uh, I know some of you, it might be a, a longer time than others. Uh, but when you're at school, do you remember when, when somebody would be handing around a note uh, to somebody else at school? And the teacher would always see it, wouldn't they? And they'd be like, come on, bring it to the front. If it's, you know, if it's worth saying, it's worth saying to everybody. And you know, the person who'd have the note would have to come up to the front and read it out to everybody. And it'll all be uh, a matter of great hilarity. Uh, this is the same kind of thing here, where Paul is, Paul is writing this letter uh, to the Ephesians, and it's not a letter that is meant to be read on an individual basis. It's not a letter that he's saying to each person individually, live a life worthy with the calling you've received. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the entire church, to the entire community of believers. In verse 1 of chapter 1, uh, it says this is a letter that is addressed to God's holy people in Ephesus. So this is a message for the whole community. So when he, and Paul says that we are to live lives that are worthy of the, of the calling, he's talking about a corporate life together. This is something that we are to live out together as a shared body of people. So as a community, the way that we exist as a body of people is to be consistent with that calling. You know, it's how we interact with each other it's how we treat each other, it's how we view each other, it's how we look after each other that is a response to the calling that God's given us. So we've been reconciled to God and therefore you know, we can be reconciled to each other and to the world in community. We have value, don't we? We have value and we have worth. I hope that you know that here when you're, you're here with us this morning. You're not just here uh, because this is somewhere to come on a Sunday morning, but you're here because God's called you to be here. You're here because we want you to be part of this community and you're an important part of it. So we can take comfort in the fact that we have been called by God. But there's a challenge there, isn't there, as well, that how we treat other people should be consistent with the way that God has treated us. The way that you see other people and the way that you treat other people should be consistent with the fact that Jesus thought they were worth dying for. That's a real challenge. And that brings us to the second expression of community uh, from this passage, that we are to be a community that is built on peace. It's all very well, isn't it? Talking about community, talking about sharing our lives together. But the reality is, uh, what about the person who annoys you in the church? What about the person who winds you up? What about the person who you just wish, oh, please don't come and talk to me this morning? You know, we're a gathering of human beings, and I think it's inevitable that wherever human beings gather in a place and share lives together, that there is going to be times where people will hurt us. There are going to be times where people upset us. There are going to be times that we will upset other people. How can we exist in a community of, of peace when that's the inevitability of, of sharing lives with other human beings? I wonder whether sometimes you can feel a little bit like this uh, when it comes to church. Uh, a classic Peanuts cartoon. I love mankind, it's people I just can't stand. Community is really hard, isn't it? Because other people can be difficult. There are people here who voted differently from you. There are people here who, who disagree with your taste in music. There are people here who disagree with anything else. There could be hundreds of different things. But you know, God has called us, as we've seen, to be community, to share lives together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, uh, describes the, the church as being a family of God. And family life can be challenging, can't it? You know, I, I'm, I'm the only male in a household of five females. Five females? Four females. Four females. Oh, hang on. Do the math. You know, family life can be challenging. You know, there, there comes with that a sense of, of challenge sometimes. But the fact is, if we believe in a creative God... 
If we believe that a God uh, made us to be in community, we have to be accepted. We have to accept that uh, God has made us all differently, and we have to accept the challenges that come with that. It won't be long if you spend any time with other people that there will be a sense of offence, of hurt. And I think Paul is saying here that we need to be mindful of that. And it's how we react in those situations. And it's how we go about protecting and defending peace within the community that is so important. That passage in in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 23, is so challenging. Jesus says this, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. That is such a challenging passage, isn't it? It seems like Jesus is saying that actually our relationships with each other as church are so important to God that if there is outstanding tension or conflict with another member of the church, that we should go and sort that out first and then come and offer our gift at the altar. This should be our first priority. That is how important this is to God because conflict with other people within the church not only alienates us from each other, but it alienates us from God. And it therefore compromises the whole reason why the church exists, which is to be the light of the, the you know to be the light of God in the world. Great, you might say, love it, brilliant in principle. It's not that easy, is it? Relationships are tough. Relationships are difficult. How do we do that? There are two ways I think uh, Paul suggests. First is this: Paul says, "Can be completely humble and gentle and gentle." Humility and, and gentleness, they get a bad press, don't they, in the world? Uh, they're often tied up in weakness, often tied up with people being overly sensitive. But God's way turns this whole idea on its head. Humility, God says, is a sign of strength. Humility and gentleness are saying that the other person is more important than I am. And this is powerfully countercultural, especially in the, in the world in which we live right now. The world says that we need to fight fire with fire, that we need to stand up, we need to defend our rights. But God's saying humility, gentleness, this is the the characteristics you need to model because those are characteristics that God has modelled with us. What kind of reactions do you default to uh, when someone hurts you? I, I, I ask this question to myself as well. Do we fly off the handle? How's your temper this morning? There is power in the words that we use. Humility and gentleness say that you are more important than me. I've been, I've been really shocked, as I'm sure most people have here, the, the, the images and the videos and the pictures of all the panic buying that are happening in, in the shops recently, the, the, the photos that are circulating of empty shelves in supermarkets. You know, food banks are running out of supplies. That's why we want to you know, really be people of generosity this morning. But let's be people as a church who model something different, a concern for people above ourselves. Proverbs 31 says that we are to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And right now, I I really believe passionately that the church uh, should model something different to the world, that we need to be defending and protecting the people who need that the most, even at the expense of our own needs. You know, rather than scrambling over each other to reach the last pack of toilet paper, you know, how can we be a people who say, no, we are going to be people of generosity, of humility, of gentleness. And the second way uh, is this. Uh, Paul says to, that we are to be patient, bearing 
with each other in love. What does that, that phrase, bearing with each other, mean? The first time I read this, I kind of thought, well, does that mean uh, just putting up with somebody who upsets you, putting up with somebody who you find difficult, simply uh, being a doormat, maybe, taking whatever is thrown at us? Is that what uh, bearing with somebody means? We often say, don't we, oh, bear with me when we want someone to, to put up with our shortcomings. If I was, you know, struggling to know where I am, you know, in terms of this talk, I'd say, oh, bear with me while I just find my train of thought again. Is that what Paul means here? I don't think it, it is. I think bearing with each other here is literally a, a picture of support, of carrying, of bearing the weight of the hurts of other people. So if I bear with you, I'm not just putting up with you, I'm not just gritting my teeth and, and kind of getting on with it, but I'm saying I'm here for you, I'm here to carry you, I'm here to carry your way, I'm here to carry your hurt, I will literally bear with you. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an uh, amazing writer, uh, wrote this, the Christian must bear the burden of a brother, he must suffer and endure the brother, it's only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. That's what bearing with each other looks like. Are you willing this morning to be burdened by someone else? I was listening to a, a podcast recently and, uh, and the guy who was talking was, was asking the question of, do we have interruptible lives? I love that phrase. Do we have lives that are interruptible? Or do we have lives that are so entrenched in their own routine, entrenched in their own uh, formulas, in the way that we do things, that actually we're not willing for somebody to come in and to interrupt us? Let's not be those people. Let's be a community where we are able to be interrupted by people who need to be, uh, to be carried and to be supported. So we need each other, don't we? We can't be doing church on our own, and I think in the next few weeks, I think that's going to be an even bigger challenge as we uh, maybe have to uh, force to move to a model where maybe we're not physically all together in the same building as much. How can we still be community? How can we still make sure that we are bearing the burdens uh, for each other? That's the power, I think, of Christian community at work, isn't it? That in a world where people are increasingly going, no, I need that. I need to grab the last uh, packet of pasta off the shelf. I need to grab the last packet of toilet roll from the shelf for me and for my needs. You know, maybe actually we're a people who actually say, you know, we can be generous and we will bear with other people. So to recap, uh, we are a community that has um, been called by God. We are a community that is built on peace. And that brings us to the final expression of community from the passage, that we are a community with God himself. Paul says this, verses uh, 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So while we are a community that has been called by God, we are also a community that is literally united with God as well. The community of the church goes so much further than just a bunch of human beings learning how to share life together as important and as powerful as this is. And just as Paul talks about how we are to bear with each other, the reason the church exists is because God has chosen, hasn't he, to bear with us as a single body of people. Continuing the quote from earlier, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer continues to say this, the burden of men, and I love this, was so heavy for God that he had to endure the cross. God bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus 
For he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that's been found. God took men upon himself and they weighted him to the ground. But God remained with them and they with God. In bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. I love that. God took men upon himself and they weighted him to the ground. That's such a a powerful picture of Jesus coming down into the world because he loved us so much and literally the weight of of people kept him there until it was complete. The church isn't a social club who gather together, uh, who are people of of interest in in, in singing songs in a church hall. You know, as nice as that might be, the church exists because God loves human beings. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. We need to be careful, don't we, that we don't allow church to become simply another social club, simply another fixture in our diary, something that we do on a Sunday morning, because God is uh, doing so much more in our community. This is so much more important. This is so much more significant. And we have the opportunity to be so much more significant within the world. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 2. There's a great uh, quote here from a, a book that uh, talks about the importance of, of, of people gathering together as church around what God did for us in Jesus. It says this, When Christians unite around something other than the gospel, they create community that would likely exist even if God didn't. As a modern-day Tower of Babel, that community glorifies their strength instead of God's. We are here, aren't we, because of what Jesus has done for us. It's as simple as that. We are here because we want to celebrate that. We are here because we are a people who have been saved, who have been called back into community, back into relationship with God. And as a result of that, we can have community and share life with each other. He is the reason. Jesus is the reason that we are a community, despite all our differences, despite all that would disunite us. He is the reason that we can reject the tribalism of the world. The, tr- the, the individual uh, isolation that says, I'm going to look after myself, we can reject that and we can say, no, we are a people who will look out to the other person in humility, in gentleness, and be generous. We are a community that has been called. We are a community that is built on peace. And most importantly, we are a community that has been united with God. I just think in the light of of everything that's going on in the world. Let's make this church a place that shows unconditional acceptance, tolerance, love to every single person who comes through those doors, even if they interrupt our comfortable lives. This is a time of fear where we need to let the church be a place of peace. When others are fighting over the last supplies, how can we show generosity? And I'm so encouraged to see uh, people's generosity this morning as we're going to be donating this food to the food bank. So this morning, uh, I want you to feel encouraged that you are part of something by being here that is bigger than yourself. You're part of something that is significant, that has potentially world-changing consequences. Let's model uh, to the world what it means to be a called people, to be putting other people first and to be sharing the hope that God is over all, through all and in all.